Why, hello. I'm Natalie Zett, and welcome to Flower in the River. Flower in the River is a podcast about a book I wrote of the same name. And that book is about the Eastland disaster that took place in 1915 in Chicago and how that long-ago tragedy affected my family for generations. I'll talk about writing and family history and what to do when the supernatural comes into your life when you're innocently doing a family history research project. Come on and let's have some fun with this. Hello again and welcome to episode 15 of Flower in the River, the podcast. And this week, we are going to tie up a lot of loose ends. And this will be the final appearance of Aunt Magda, who so far has taken up three episodes, but she's that kind of personality. So if you've been following the podcast, you'll know that we have the protagonist, the main character, Zara. And she is in a very close relationship with her father's sister, her aunt Magda, who is a renowned psychic and self-described Slavic sorceress who practices a form of folk magic that her ancestors, who originated somewhere in the mountains of eastern Slovakia, also practiced, of course, with Magda's usual twists and turns and embellishments on the practices. So these practices were more like herbalism, about healing, and about folk magic. But Magda, who basically is about three or four of my female relatives, these different people who make up Magda definitely spend a lot of their time doing seances, reading cards, finding other ways to contact the dead. And I said it before, and I'll say it again, because it is important to realize Growing up with this, it does seem a bit kooky, somewhat spooky, but it was entirely normal as well. And again, I cannot say that enough, which is why I resist sensationalizing this sort of thing. And this character and her interactions definitely echo and reflect on my own early years. So Aunt Magda starts to lay down a map for Zara not in a heavy-handed way, but, paradoxically, in a very unyielding way, nonetheless. And she realizes from her perspective that everyone in Zara's family is becoming very splintered. Everyone's going off in their own direction. Zara's mother, Zara's father, Zara's sister, maybe even grandfather, and, of course, Zara. And... She also realizes that Zara is looking for stability, and Zara is finding it in her church. And by the way, there was no apparent obvious reason for this coming apart of the family, and that's the other thing, too. In the book, this definitely reflects much of my teenage years. My family did indeed get somewhat splintered, but not in a physical way. There was no divorce, nothing like that, but emotionally everyone for a while separated. And then, at a certain point, everything came back together. 
Now, this very well may have been just the ebb and flow of relationships. Perhaps, I don't know for sure, but perhaps things have to grow apart in order to come back together and to come back together stronger. So that's what on the surface seemed to happen to my family. And again, why? I really don't know. I'm sure people who are trained in psychology would have a lot of stuff to say about this. But since I only took a few psych courses in undergrad and grad school, just enough to be dangerous, but I'm not qualified to assess or diagnose what was going on or speculate, but I just report what happened. I just report the the manifestations of whatever was going on. But as you're listening to this, maybe you'll get some ideas yourself that I don't I don't necessarily have the best perspective because I'm too close to it, and I understand that as well. I was debating whether to bring this up, but I think I need to bring this up. I just looked down at my watch, and my watch read June 24th, 2023. One month from today will be July 24th, and that is the anniversary of the Eastland. However, now something else has happened. It's been in the news, and it's the unfortunate tragedy about the folks who wanted so much to go down and see the Titanic that they risked their lives in that submarine, and we know what happened. A couple of my colleagues at work that know I wrote the book about the Eastland experience in my family, they asked for my opinion about all of this. And I really stumbled around because how do you speak about such a thing? Back to the book. In the book, I have Zara echo many times. Why does the Titanic get all this press? And why not the Eastland? It seemed then and even seems now that this question will never be answered. Just this very week, I was getting reacquainted with a friend from college, and she's from Illinois, by the way, and she saw that I wrote this book, and she said, I have never heard about the Eastland. I wish I had a quarter. No, not a nickel, but a quarter because, you know, inflation. I wish I had a quarter for every time someone has told me throughout the last 25, 26 years that they have never heard of the Eastland. And what's ironic, again, is that even people from Chicago a lot of times do not know about the Eastland disaster. And I would have hoped that this would have changed in the last quarter of a century, particularly since the Eastland Disaster Historical Society was founded, and lots of other books have come out, not just mine, there have been documentaries, etc., And my book, to be clear, is less about the Eastland than it is about the effect of the trauma of the Eastland on my family, and that brings it home for sure. And I wanted to also, in the book, stand up for my people, my people meaning the Eastern and Central European immigrant families, because we, like the Eastland, don't get a whole lot of press time. But Nonetheless, circling back again, I admit that the Titanic is so compelling and so captivating that people are willing to take risks, the likes of which I would never take. And the Eastland, 
I guess in a weird way, even though it's it's a shipping disaster, it's kind of an apples and oranges thing. The Eastland was such a different event. It didn't happen out on Lake Michigan, but it happened downtown right in the Chicago River. And of course, they were able to recover all the bodies and the wreckage. So it wasn't the same kind of thing. It's a different type of mystery than the Titanic. And again, because of the population, there was nobody, quote unquote, famous aboard the Eastland. Most of the people were young working class people who worked for Western Electric. Not all, of course, because my Aunt Martha was not a Western Electric employee. But as time passed, the Eastland was forgotten. The Titanic, on the other hand, has always managed to stay in our consciousness. And I can't even say that it's because of the James Cameron film, because even before that, there were other films and so much press that were given to the Titanic. So in my book, the book subtly unfolds Zara's mounting distaste for the Titanic. And just as she stumbles upon the lesser-known Eastland disaster in her family's history, the Titanic movie debuts, and Zara's left questioning the unfairness of fame. She ponders why an event like the Eastland, which claimed 844 lives, fades into obscurity while the Titanic grabs the limelight. Do you feel the tension here? You should, because that's what was going on with the character and with me. Yes, it seems unfair, and indeed it is, and I don't ever want to hear the cliche, well, life is unfair. I think we know that at a certain level, but that doesn't mean that we don't strive for justice and equality. However, here's where Zara starts to turn things around just a bit. Part of Zara's journey involves her moving from resentment to a broader perspective. Toward the end of the book, Zara, along with her friend Ellie D'Angelo, who we'll meet later, those two visit the Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago. There, the Eastland disaster is given some recognition. However, it is placed alongside the Titanic exhibit. And both calamities are displayed, but their representations differ vastly. The Titanic, of course, is what everyone came to see, and it was luxurious, captivating, and actually very impressive. Very emotional, too, and it was just gorgeous. And then at the end of the Titanic exhibit, in order to see the Eastland exhibit, Zara has to open a flimsy curtain. Now, the people did a beautiful job putting the Eastland exhibit together. But again, when you juxtapose anything against the Titanic, it gets diminished. But at the end of that event, despite the resentment that Zara is nursing about the Titanic, she does take higher ground. She says, quote, fact is, death is death. So the deaths that happened this week due to people's wanting to see the Titanic, as well as the original Titanic tragedy, everyone experienced extreme loss then and extreme loss now. 
The Titanic has a power over us. I will admit that. And I have to say again, I'm on Team Eastland because it's personal. But I finally do understand how compelling the Titanic is for people. And like Zara, my alter ego, my perspective too has changed and evolved. And I say with Zara, no matter what, death is death. I am very sorry that things went down the way they did for those aboard that sub. And I hope that their memories are a blessing to their families and their loved ones as they walk this journey of grief. I always hope that we can learn from the past and from past events, but do we always? Not exactly. Maybe half the time we do. The other half, it's like we're, we're daring history to repeat itself. And while I applaud rule breakers and those who color outside the lines and take the high-risk gambles, sometimes those high-risk gambles are games I'd rather not play. But it's time to segue. So let's dive into Aunt Magda's pivotal role where she empowers Zara to embrace her future. Magda, a human mirror, helps others to see truth that they fear to face. With Zara, a typical teen, scared of the vast, unpredictable world, Magda becomes her guiding light. Zara, out of place and uncomfortable in her current life, she risks her spirit. It's almost like facing a different kind of death. She risks her spirit just to fit in and to appease others, and that's not going to work for someone like Zara. Her unique, eccentric personality refuses to be tamed, and so Magda advises her to start planning your escape, Zara. And on that note, let's jump back into this chapter of Annie's Granddaughter, featuring, guest-starring, I should say, Aunt Magda. Zara practically lived at church and shared little with her family. By then, they weren't much of a family anyway, all living separate lives, only sharing the house. The church was a lifeline for Zara, where she forged deep friendships with other kids and their families. She taught Sunday school, led the youth group, and performed folk songs during communion. The pastor became a surrogate father who she visited often and confided in. She shared a special bond with her first boyfriend's parents and siblings. She liked him well enough, but was in love with his entire family. They were the family she wanted to have, not the ones she'd been stuck with. She even resembled them enough where she was often mistaken for one of their children. Sarah began plotting her future escape with Aunt Magda as her co-conspirator. Thank goodness for Magda. Zara called Magda, then walked to the corner to catch the Broadway bus that dropped her off about a half a mile from the house. Zara walked up the front steps and heard Magda shout, I'm in the kitchen. After hearing Zara's litany of complaints, she said, Stop. 
It's your turn to listen to me. Okay, said Zara. This is important. Promise that you won't stay here. I mean it. When you are old enough, get out of Cleveland. It is not your home, and you have other places where you're supposed to be. Where? That's for you to figure out, Zara. It's different for young women now, and you have more opportunities than I ever did. If I were young now, well, just take advantage of that freedom and manage it well, said Magda. Zara's eyes widened. Magda continued, This is dicey, very dicey, but must be said. My guides have told me you can never be yourself here. It would not be, well, mm, healthy. Your guides said that, said Zara. Let me explain. Your mother loves you even though you don't see it now. But she doesn't understand where she ends and other people begin. If only she had her mother instead of that crew who raised her. We don't blame her, Zara, but we also can't let her suffocate you with her fears. She needs to learn to deal with those. As you grow more independent, she may dig her hooks in deeper, and you'll need to stand up for yourself. She can't be with you, and she can't be away from you. Oh, dear. Why is this so hard? said Magda. What's hard, Aunt Magda? said Zara. Oh, darling, you're a strange little creature, aren't you? Much older than your years, but you're in that hinterland. No longer a child, but far from being an adult. Still, you feel the nudging from your own guides now, yes? Wait a minute, Magda. I have spirit guides? How did that... It's hard for mothers. We, too, have lessons to learn. There's a poem by Khalil Gibran that says, Your children are not your children. They come through you, but not from you, and they belong not to you. We mothers need this frequent reminder. But back to you. You will indeed meet the ones who have been guiding you since you were born. Meet? I have spirit guides like you do? Of course. Most are ancestors who act as silent partners. They help us, but most don't believe that they exist. But for you, it's different. You, like so many women in our family, seem to recognize them. You hear their voices, said Magda. Magda, I have never heard voices, said Zara. Not literally, maybe, but you respond to them anyway. I'm lost. You were born on a bridge, not a literal bridge, but you stand in between worlds. 
one foot in the light and the other in the mud. Oh, don't worry. I'm the same, and that's why I recognize it. You pick up on other people's essence, don't you? I guess. You know who's good, who's bad, and who's harmless. You can see around corners sometimes, and you often know what will happen next. I'm right, aren't I? Said Magda. That's right, said Zara. I thought everyone had that. Maybe they do, but some of us have finely tuned abilities. This runs in families, and you've inherited many centuries worth of abilities. Did you know we had an ancestor who was burned at the stake for being a witch? What? A witch? Like in Salem? No, no. Our people didn't immigrate until the late 1800s, so we miss Salem. I'm sure we would have been burned had we been there, though. Accusing women of witchcraft is a long-standing church tradition that dates back to Europe to at least the 14th century, maybe earlier. Long ago, in what is now Czechoslovakia, our ancestor, a woman called Maxinka, was burned as a witch in the 1500s. No kidding! Oh my gosh, was she really a witch? Don't know, but at the very least, Maxinka was an herbalist and healer, according to family lore. She was born in my mother's village of Stitnik," said Magda. Magda, are you a witch? What do you think? Well, I think you are, but you're not evil or wicked. Oh goodness, Zara! I hope that stereotype of the wicked witch dies off at some point. You come from a long line of women who would be considered witches, but the churches say witches are going to hell, and most churches are run by men who purloined the magic long ago and then condemned and killed women practitioners for using the very devices they stole from them. Oh, let's change the topic. I could go on about this forever. So, am I a witch then? Well, it's a family tradition, but take a hint from me and don't talk about it with people, especially your church friends. They won't understand or approve, and you might be put in danger. Learn to grow that garden of knowledge inside of you. Trust that when you need the right person to help you, living or dead, they'll arrive. What am I supposed to do? Right now, keep getting good grades and find a nice out-of-state college to attend. You'll need to leave to find yourself, and don't ask me to explain that contradiction. Life is full of them. Once you're away, you'll find your strength. Oh, it won't be easy. It's not supposed to be, but you will learn what you need to move to the next step, 
And after you graduate college, keep moving. You'll find another place that will feel like home," said Magda. Magda, explain, please. I truly don't get what you're talking about, and you're kind of scaring me," said Zara. When you arrived in this incarnation of life, you didn't come in alone," said Magda. You also brought other selves. Ancestors who act as your guides—they, in turn, also have their own capabilities honed from various lifetimes. You lost me there, Magda. I'm just me. There are no other people involved. How do you think your father could pick up a guitar and play it with the skill of a virtuoso? He never had lessons, and he still can't read music," said Magda. Zara answered, "He was born with a talent, and he always said, 'It's in the blood.'" Magda completed the sentence. And where does that blood come from, darling? Zara stood in front of Magda, smiled, and shook her head. You're co-sharing your life with many ancestors. Not sure why you have so many, but they're all very creative. I don't know the ones from your mother's side, but you have our musicians and our, um, wise women. Each brings talents, tools for you to use and nurture. And when you use them, the ancestors get a chance to shine. You're never alone, but it won't be easy, since these creative selves will try to claim center stage during various periods of your life. Well, I'm already playing the guitar, but what about my other talents? They arrive when the timing is right. Zara sighed. Oh, but when they show up, get a handle on them, or they might tear you to shreds. What? Oh, don't worry. If you couldn't deal with them, they'd never have accompanied you through this lifetime," said Magda. You will grow into a very capable, and yes. A sagacious woman. Hey, that's it for this episode, and thanks for coming along for the ride. Please subscribe or follow so you can keep up with all the episodes. For more information, please go to my website. That's www.flowerintheriver.com, and I'll have that and more information in the show notes. I hope you consider buying my book because I owe people money, and I'm just kidding about that. But the one thing I'm not kidding about is that this podcast and my book are dedicated to the memory of the 844 who died on the Eastland. Goodbye for now.